you got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, and we'll be looking today at Matthew 9, 1 through 8. And we get to spend, and I, I think this is a great privilege for us, we get to spend another Sunday morning studying about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, I, I think there's nothing better than that. I look forward to that. I love coming to church knowing that we're going to study and learn about the, the Savior that we love. Uh, so I hope you love that as much as I do. We get to open up the pages, we get to walk where He walked, and hear the sermons He preached. And to see the miracles that he's done. And that's what we're going to get to do today. We get to see another miracle that he's going to perform today. He's going to hear in Matthew chapter 9, heal a paralyzed man. And that's a big deal, to heal somebody who's paralyzed. I think this man was probably quadriplegic. He probably couldn't uh, use any of his limbs at all. And so this is a big deal. This is a huge miracle. But there's something deeper and more important here that I want you to see as we work through this. There's something more powerful in this passage than healing a paralytic. And I want to show you how Jesus will show us uh, how he can meet our greatest need. So let's stand together. And I want to, that's the title of the sermon today, Man's Greatest Need. I want to show you the, these two simple truths. I want to show you what our greatest need is and who it is that can meet that need. So let's look at this passage today, verses 1 through 8. I want to show you again the title of the sermon, Man's Greatest Need. And you'll see this as we study it, but let's start in verse 1. And I, I just love this. I love opening the Bible and learning about Jesus. Starting in verse 1. And he, Jesus, entered into a ship, and he passed over, and he came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. Verse 4, And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, then saith he to the sick of palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thine house. And he arose, and he departed to his house. But when the multitude saw it, they marveled, and they glorified God, which had given such power unto men. Uh, so here in this passage, he shows us man's greatest need. Let's pray together and then we'll study. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. And God, we ask that in your truth here today, that you would speak to our hearts. And God, I mean that, that you would speak not only to our ears. Everybody in here has ears to hear. But God, we need to have receptive hearts to not only hear it, but to embrace it. We need to embrace these truths that this passage teaches us. But most importantly, Father, I pray that we can, through this passage, bring everyone in this room to the feet of Jesus Christ. Because that's where we all need to be. At the feet of Christ, looking up at Him, learning of Him, seeking Him, loving Him. Show us Your Son today through His Word. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Man's greatest need is not. And I want to start there. Before I tell you what it is, I want, I want to tell you what it's not. We could go around the room today and I could ask you what is your greatest need right now in this hour on this day. And you may be able to make a list of things that you need. But I'm asking you today, what is your greatest need? What is the, the top priority in your life? You need this more than you need anything else in the world. Your, your greatest need, I want to tell you what your greatest need is today. It is not physical. 
Your greatest need, and we saw that in the passage there, your greatest need is not health. It's not for you to be healed of something. It's not for you to be in, in better shape. That's not your greatest need. Your greatest need is not financial. You may think so. You may look at your bank account and it may be in the negative. You may be sitting there saying, I need some money. I need to pay some bills. Your greatest need is not to get your bills paid. It's a great need. It's a good need, but it's not your greatest need. Your greatest need is not social. You don't need more friends, better friends, richer friends, nicer friends, kinder friends. You don't need a greater family. That's a good need, but it's not your greatest need. Your greatest need is not marital. Some of you here may be looking for a spouse or looking for a better spouse. I don't know. <laughs> I ain't got an amen there with you. But it's not your greatest need to find a spouse or to have a better spouse. That's not your greatest need. It's a good need. I pray that for my kids all the time, that they would have a, a great spouse when they grow up. I pray for my boys. I pray for my girls every morning when I go and pray for them. God, give my girls godly men that will lead their family. And God, give my boys godly wives. I want that for my, for my children. But that's not your greatest need. Those are not the, uh, mankind's greatest need. You ready for it? Mankind's greatest need is for forgiveness of our sin. That's our greatest need. The one thing the human soul needs more than anything else in this world is forgiveness of sin. You say, why is that? I'm glad you asked that. You guys asked the greatest question. Your greatest need is forgiveness of sin because sin is your greatest problem. Sin is our greatest problem. We all have a sin problem. Sin is not a minor issue. It's not a small issue. Sin is the major issue in all of our lives. Sin is what separates you and me from a holy God. That's what keeps us from God. That's what makes us at enmity with God. It's our sin that keeps us from God. Our sin is the reason for God's wrath, God's judgment, God's condemnation, God's punishment. Sin is the cause of all of our problems in the world. Sin is our greatest problem. And unless our sins are forgiven, it will send us to hell. And it will keep us out of heaven. So our greatest problem is sin. And our greatest need is forgiveness of that sin. If you don't get your sins forgiven before you die, you will go to hell. That's as clear and as, as simple as I can make it. So our greatest need is for God to forgive our sins. And here's the good news. You guys ready for this? Our God is a very forgiving God. When He introduced Himself to Moses in Exodus 34, He's telling Moses, here's who I am. Moses didn't know anything about God. And He says, here's who I am. He's on the mountain. And, and, and He says, here Moses, I'm introducing myself to you. This is the first thing I want to tell you about myself. What's the first thing you tell somebody if you're introducing yourself? I'm married to this one. I have these kids. I work this job. I'm this. I'm this. It's usually the most important thing about you. And when God introduces Himself to Moses, and really, He's not just introducing Himself to Moses, He's introducing Himself to you and me. And here's what He says. Pay attention. And the Lord God passed before Him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, yeah. keeping mercy for thousands, and watch this last phrase, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Yes. The very first thing he introduces himself as is a forgiving God. Amen. 
We have a God. We have a great problem in the need of forgiveness of sin. And the good news is we have a great God who does forgive sin. And He doesn't just wipe it away. You know what He does? He sends His only begotten Son to come and to pay for our sin. What a great God it is that we have who does forgive sin. He doesn't send us a doctor. If our greatest need was health, he'd send, He would have sent us a doctor. He doesn't send us a financial advisor. If our greatest need was money, He would have sent us somebody who knew money. Our greatest need was forgiveness, so He sent us a Savior. Amen. And that's what we have. That's the best news that man can ever hear is that forgiveness is available. That forgiveness is offered. That forgiveness is, is here if you want it. You can be forgiven of your sin if you believe in Jesus. That's a great truth. And only Christianity has that privilege yes, that's right. to offer to people forgiveness of sin. There's no other religion in the world that offers to meet our greatest need. And that's what this story here is all about. It's about forgiveness of sin. We see a man here in Matthew chapter 9, and he thinks, get this, he thinks his greatest need is physical. He thinks as he comes to Jesus and they get him to the feet of Jesus, he's paralyzed. And then that's you would think that. This man's greatest need, if I saw him laying on a mat, first thing that comes to my mind is his greatest need is for somebody to heal him. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. This man's greatest need isn't healing. His greatest need is forgiveness of his sin. Amen. That's what he says here. And he gives it to him by saying, son, thy sins are forgiven. And that is the greatest words that any man can ever hear is for God to say your sins are forgiven. That's right. And I'll ask that today to you. Has God said that to you? Son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. That's music to his ears. And if you've heard that from God, that's music to your ears. That your sins would be forgiven. So let's look at this. I want to show you man's greatest need. And I'm going to lay this out for you in, in, in very simple. This is a great story. So I want to show you man's greatest need. I'm going to show you point number one. Heading number one of the sermon is I want to show you the, the priority of forgiveness. The priority of forgiveness. You're going to see here that the top priority for Jesus is forgiveness. The top priority for the paralytic was that his body would be healed. But the top priority for Jesus, and that must be the top priority for us, before anything else, we must have forgiveness of sin. So for Jesus, the top priority is that his sins would be forgiven. That, that this man's sins would be forgiven. So let me show you, starting in verse 1. And he entered into the ship and passed over and came into his own city. So it says there in verse 1 that he's back where he came from. You guys know if you've been here with us, he started there in Capernaum and he had crowds of people that he was healing and he got on a boat and went to the other side to the gatherings where he went through a storm, got to the other side, he uh, cast out some demons on the other side and now he just went and went all, all the way back to Capernaum, back to his headquarters, back where he, he came from. And in verse 1 it says, into his own city. He is back to where he set up shop. This is a place where he spent more time during his ministry than, than anywhere else. And we know from other passages that in verse 1, he comes to Peter's house. Where he came and healed Peter's mother-in-law. He's in, in that house. It's a, it's, a, it's a big house. Mark 2 and Luke 5 fills in that blank for us. It fills in the blank for us. Uh, he's, he's in a house. I can show you if you want to turn with me to Mark chapter 2. It's just a few page over, pages over in my Bible. Mark chapter 2 verses 1 to 2. Same story. Verse 1 says, And again he entered into Capernaum, 
And, and after some days, there was noise that he was in the house. You see that he's in Peter's house. And straightway, look at this, a crowd gathered. It says, many were gathered, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And you can hold your place right there. So what's going on here is he's in Peter's house. Crowds have gathered. They hear he's back and they want to come and get healing. And so there's so many people here. It's standing room only. I mean, there's, they're in, in, inside the house, in every nook and every cranny of that house. There's people stuffed everywhere, just sitting there listening to Jesus teach. And they're not only inside, they're outside. They're in the doorways, they're in the windows, they're, they're listening from all around the house, all to get close to Jesus. And in verse 2, it says in Matthew 9, And behold, you see that? And behold, that means all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Something unusual happened. That word behold, it, it says so much in this passage because it's, it's, it's a way of saying, pay attention to what just happened. I can't, I can't believe my own eyes. Behold, something happened here. Something out of the ordinary. Something unique. And he's saying here, when you see that word behold, he's saying, listen to this. Have you ever been telling a story and, you, and you're building up to that? You say, now here's what happened. I'm getting to the point of the story now. Behold. I'm going to start saying that in my stories. Behold! And he says, and behold. You see that? And behold. What happened? It says, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. I'm going to stop there. Who's they? Turn back with me to Mark chapter 2. Who's they? Matthew doesn't tell us, but Mark does. Luke adds that there's four they's. There's four friends, four men that carry this man sick of the palsy. Mark, Mark 2 says it too. Look at verse 3. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was carried or born of four. So they have four men that are carrying this man sick of the palsy on a bed or on a, on a small mattress or a, a thick blanket that had, had two sticks on each side. It's, it's, and they're carrying him to Jesus. And this man, and I, I just want to explain to you what it means, sick of the palsy, he's paralyzed. He's a, he's a, he's a paralytic. It's most likely, again, he's quadriplegic. He can't use his arms or his legs. He's lying flat on his back on a, on a mat. He can't move. He's entirely dependent upon his friends to take him anywhere at any time. So he looks at his friends at some point, and again, he's, he's getting in his right mind, but he can't move anything else. So he's laying there on a mat, and he looks at his friends and said, take me to Jesus. And he's got four of the best friends that you could ever have. And they pick him up and they go to take him to Jesus. And this is not an easy thing. If you're still in Mark 2, I want to show you what they did. It wasn't easy. They couldn't get him in. There's no handicap access. Again, there's crowds all around. They're inside. They're outside. It's standing room only. So these four men come carrying this guy in. They're going to say, can we get in? No. Four men. There's no room for four men. And a, a, a stretcher. You can't get in here. You, you can't get in. So watch what happens. Verse 3 of Mark chapter 2. And they came unto him bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him, they couldn't get close to Jesus for the press. <laughs> They're sitting there thinking, what are we going to do? How can we get our friend to Jesus? And somebody in that group of five, man, man on, the, on the stretcher and four others, has a bright idea. Light bulb, right? 
I know what we can do. And there's always one in the crowd that's got the idea. And here's the idea. Let's go up on the roof. And I bet we can dig a hole in the roof. <laughs> and I've got a rope out back. And I'm pretty sure where he is in there. And we'll dig a hole. And it's not this is a small little hole. They have to dig a hole that's big enough for a grown man on a stretcher. And he said, we'll lower him down. They'll never see this coming. We're going to come in from the top. <laughs> this is like Mission Impossible type stuff. As I was reading this, I'm thinking, they're, they're playing the music as he's being lowered down, you know. And as, as they're lowered, and it says there in verse 4, when they could not come nigh him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. This is Peter's house. And Peter's not the most patient guy. I'm sure he's sitting there thinking, what's going on with my roof? As they're sitting there digging it up, it says they're digging it up, breaking it up. And they let down the bed where the sick of the palsy was laying. They really want to get this guy to Jesus. They really want in. Again, they had break up the roof. They lower down the bed. They get him to where he needs to be. They lowered him down where he was right at the feet of Jesus. And I like that because that's exactly where all of us need to be. And these guys, let me show you two things about these guys or about this situation. Number one, he's, he's at the right place. He's exactly where we all need to be. He is without strength. He is hopeless. There's nothing he can do for himself. He needs to get to the feet of Jesus and beg for mercy. That's exactly where every single one of us needs to get. We need to get to the feet of Jesus and beg for mercy. Number two, he got there because of his friends. These are the best friends that you could ever imagine. They did whatever it took to get their friend to Jesus. Four of the best friends. Your best friends bring you to Jesus. Don't pull you away from Jesus. Your best friends. You say, how can I get my friends to Jesus? You pray for them. You, you invite them to church. You do everything that you can do. I mean, how far? You know, a lot of us would have given up there. Too bad, buddy. You, can't, you ain't getting in there today. <laughs> I ain't going to lower you down. These are the best friends that you could ever have. That will bring you to Jesus, not pull you away from Jesus. The greatest thing anybody can do for you is to bring you to Jesus. Amen. The best parents bring their kids to Jesus. The best friends bring their friends to Jesus. The best pastors brings their church to Jesus. Amen. The best pastors don't sit up here and rant and rave about the newest topic. They don't get up here and berate their congregation and make them feel terrible about themselves, about how bad they are. We'll tell you how sinful you are, but with the whole goal of getting you to the feet of Jesus. You need a preacher, you need parents, you need friends that point you to the one person that can meet your greatest need. That's what you need. That's what we all need. To get to the feet of Jesus. These are the best friends that you could ever imagine. I'm going to ask this. I don't have time to do this. But let me ask this. Can you name one person that got you to Jesus? Just think in your own mind. And I, I thought about that today. Do I have four people, but prior to me getting saved, 
Did God use four people? Can I name four people that God used to get me to the feet of Jesus? And I started thinking about it, and, and I started writing names down. I can think of my, my mom and my, my dad, and I had uncles, and I had a preacher, and I, I had all these people, and God used these men to get me to Jesus. Always God is using means to accomplish His end, and we may be the means to get somebody to the feet of Jesus. This is, this is good. The greatest thing that we can do for anybody is to get them to Jesus. The one who can meet their greatest need. And look what Jesus says. I spent too much time on that. Look what Jesus says. I can imagine Jesus is sitting there preaching. Can you think I was thinking about that? What if I was preaching and all of a sudden somebody started digging a hole in the roof and, and there's stuff falling and there's crowds all around and, and he's sitting there. I'm sure it's a distraction. I'm sure it's an interruption. I'm sure. And then all of a sudden down comes a rope and a stretcher. And Jesus sees this man fall and he looks up and there's four friends down there giving him the thumbs up. You know, yeah. On you now, man. You know? We did our part. Maybe even run at Peter. You know, the, he's after him. <laughs> calling insurance. <laughs> and there he is. And Jesus is looking right at him. And, and Jesus could easily, you know, what, you know what Jesus could do? He, he could look at him and he could say, you're, you're interrupting my sermon, man. What do you think you're doing? Get out, Somebody get him out of here. But remember Exodus 34, that our God is merciful and tender and kind and patient and loving and forgiving. And Jesus looks at him and he, does, he doesn't rebuke him at all. He says, Son, be of good cheer. Don't you worry. That's what that would be of good cheer is. Don't you worry. Because that's what happens when you get to the feet of Jesus. He, he doesn't rebuke you. Right. He looks at you and he says, Son, not enemy, not stranger, but son. And I'm sure that paralytic was sitting there and his teeth were chattering with nerves. What's he going to say? What's he going to do? What does Jesus say next? Son, be of good cheer. I'm going to heal you today. He didn't say that yet. Because Jesus' top priority was not, I've got to say this, his top priority was not healing his body. A lot of these churches today, in some of these charismatic circles, the top priority is not sins being forgiven. The top priority is people coming in to get their bodies healed. But no, 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 Jesus says the top priority, the greatest need that you have in life is not for your body to be healed, but for your soul to be healed. And Jesus looks at him, and I love what he says. He says something that's, that's, that's far better than you're going to be healed. Something far more important. Jesus looks at this man and says he doesn't need healing. That's superficial. He needs forgiving. That's spiritual. Amen. Jesus sees deeper to the, the core of his need, he needs his sins forgiven. And he says here, thy sins be forgiven. Those are great words. I would take out a pen and I would underline that and I would circle that and I would highlight that. That's what we all need to hear from God. You may not like it here, but if your sins are forgiven, you're going to love it when you stand before God. He says, thy sins are forgiven. This man was sinful. This man had a lifetime of ugly, horrible, repugnant, shameful, offensive sin, and there was nothing he could do about it. His sin was a number of the grains of sand in the world. And he's sitting there knowing he is sinful. And Jesus looks at him and he says, your sins are forgiven. The word forgiven there means your sins are dismissed. 
your sins are unlocked that. Don't you love in class? And I don't know if they do it now. But when I was in school, the teacher would stand up. And the bell would ring. We'd all stand up ready to go. And the teacher would look at you and say, no. The bell doesn't dismiss you. <laughs> I dismiss you. And I'm sitting there thinking, I thought the bell did. You know, I'm thinking. <laughs> and then the teacher would have us all sit back down. He would say, you may be dismissed. Get out of here. And that's what the word forgive means. Sins be gone. Sins be dismissed. Sins be, and, and it's the same word that they would use in the Old Testament for a scapegoat. A scapegoat in our, in our world today means some, somebody or someone that takes the blame. And in the Old Testament, they would, they would symbolically put this, their sins on a scapegoat. And they would tell that, that scapegoat, get on out of here. And it would go running off into the wilderness and fall off a cliff somewhere. It was dismissed. It was gone to be seen no more. That's what Jesus is saying about his sins. Psalm 103 says that he takes our sins and throws it into, into the depths of the sea to be seen no more. Yeah. Our sin is ever before our face and it's shameful and it's, it's ugly. And Jesus here says, it's not there anymore. I'm casting it away. Not only in the depths of the sea, but as far as the, the east is from the west. You say, how far is that? They never meet. If you take a step to the west, the east moves. You can never have those two things cross. So it's as far as you can imagine. He's casting it away. And, it's, and it also says in the Old Testament that he puts it behind his back and remembers it no more. That's a, that's a great, great miracle here. i got to move on. I'm still on point number one. We may not get through this today. I'm very thankful. You guys need to thank Mike. Pat him on the back. He put batteries in my clock right before I got up here to preach. Yeah, y'all need to just look at him and say, we thank God for Mike today. But look what happens. And then when he says this, our sins be forgiven, it's immediately. A lifetime of sin in a split second is gone. It is completely it says, you see what it says there? Thy sins. It doesn't say one sin. It says all sins. This is his youthful sins, his adult sins, his public sins, his private sins. Let me say this word. It's all sins. There's not a sin left on this guy. It's just as if he had never sinned. And it was permanent. Not only your sins are forgiven, but your sins are always forgiven. Amen. That's a great truth. This, this is the miracle of the story. We can stop right here because this is the greatest miracle in all of the Bible. Demons are nothing. A storm to Jesus is nothing. He sees a storm and he's like, no, no big deal. He sees demons and he's like, that's child's play. Here is the greatest miracle that God ever performs when He changes the standing of a man who's at enmity with God to now being a friend of God. That is the greatest miracle in all the world. Amen, this guy was going to hell and now because of what Jesus said, he's going to heaven. That's a miracle. This guy was condemned and what Jesus says, he is now blessed by God. This guy was an enemy and now he's a son. He was guilty and now he's innocent and it's all by grace because he didn't do a thing. This guy didn't ask for it. He didn't work for it. He wasn't baptized as a baby. He wasn't baptized as an adult. He didn't give any money. He didn't go to any church. He did absolutely nothing. And Jesus forgave all of his sin. You know what that's called? Grace. It's almost a split second. 
I mean, Jesus, and when Jesus says that, boy, I've got to hurry. I just love this. In, in a split second, I mean, in a moment, Jesus pardoned the paralytic. Try saying that five times fast. <laughs> and when he does that, he loudly declares himself to do what only God can do. Because only God can forgive sin. You say, is that the end of the story? No, not at all. I've still got two more points to go. So that's the priority of forgiveness. Let me show you number two, the proof of forgiveness. But let me ask you first. Do you know what it means to have your sins forgiven? To have that burden taken away? To know that your sins may be as the grains of sand in the world, but Jesus has wiped it all away. Because that's the only way any of us will ever have cheer. You put a guy in a cell about to be punished, killed, there's nothing in the world that can cheer that guy up. If he's on death row, you can bring food to him and say, hey, your favorite meal. And in his mind, he's going to say, I'm still going to die soon and be punished. You can bring him his favorite TV show. He can binge watch it on Netflix. You know what he's going to say? It may, he may take his mind off it for a little while, but all the way through that show, he's going to think, I'm going to die soon. I'm condemned to death. I, 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 there's nothing I can do. This isn't going to cheer me up. There's no cheer when you know you're going to be judged. There's no cheer in that. Man. You can look at him and say, we're going to give you a flu shot. <laughs> and you're going to be healed. You're going to be protected from the flu. What good does that do me? I'm going to die soon. Nobody in this world can have cheer knowing that they're going to stand before God and be judged one day. You may be able to take your mind off it with Netflix or with good health or with a good marriage, but in the back of your mind, you know I'm going to be judged one day. The only cheer that anybody has in this world is to know their sins are forgiven. Number two. That point took me 30 minutes. Number two. The proof of forgiveness. Because you would think this crowd would love that Jesus just forgave this guy. You would think. I mean, if somebody got saved in the midst of our church today, we should clap and cheer and have a great time. But there's always somebody in the church who wants to criticize. There's always a critical person in the crowd. And look what it says here. And these, these and behold, there's that word again. Because it's, it's a surprise. There's somebody who didn't like this. Can you imagine that? You could baptize 30 people and somebody in the church, I can't believe he did that. Right? We could have a packed house here today. Somebody oh, took my seat. You know, somebody's going to be mad about something. It could be the greatest sermon anybody's ever heard. And somebody back there sitting back and go, he didn't say that word right. <laughs> That's how it is. There's always, I'll say it this way. I can't say it. I'm going to say it. There's always a fly at the picnic. And there's always a critic in the church. Always. Look at these critics. I, what, the part I wasn't going to say was that that fly needs swatted. But that, I won't say that. <laughs> Somebody's writing that down. Josh said he's a. He needs to swat somebody in the church. <laughs> and behold, it says certain of the scribes. You say, who's the scribes? The scribes would be described as the doctors of the law. They are experts. They're teachers. I, I would call them the law police. They went around with, a, with a, a law book and went around to everybody. You broke 
you're breaking this law. <laughs> you're breaking this law. That's what they did. They, were, they knew every bit of it. They interpreted it. They, they studied it. They, they, had, they had all these rules down pat. I mean, no, nobody knew the law better than they did. They even took it beyond the law. They had every jot, every tittle. They even added stuff. And they walked around saying, you ain't doing that right. You ain't doing that right. You ain't doing that right. So they're sitting in the crowd here, and they're not there to learn. They're not there to be forgiven. They're not there to worship. They're there to nitpick every word Jesus says. That's what they're there for. They're out to get Jesus. The whole purpose was for them to sit there with a critical spirit listening for Him to mess up. There are people that are waiting for you to mess up. And especially we as Christians. They're dying for it. They love to see other Christians fall. I'm not even talking about the world. We may be here for an hour and a half. But think about it. If you failed right now as a Christian, there's somebody that's going to sit there and say, I knew it. I knew it. And not only sitting there, they're sitting there waiting for it, they're looking for Jesus to fail. Any word that he can say, they're going to take notes. <laughs> they're sitting there taking notes. They're, they're, they're uh, nitpicking. They're, they're twisting. Again, they're not there to learn. They're not there to seek forgiveness. The right thing for them to do was this guy's been forgiven. I now need forgiveness. But instead of doing that, they're just out to get Jesus. I want to apply this to you too. There's always somebody out to get you. There's always somebody out to get you. Again, there's a critic in every congregation. So they hear Jesus. You see that? The servant of the scribes, they hear what Jesus says. They've seen his miracles. They've heard him preach. But they have never heard anyone ever say anything about forgiving sins before. Nobody says that. Only God says that. And they knew that. And this is new to them. And this made them sit up. You know, they're, they're sitting there taking notes, trying to, trying to get him, trying to find something to get him crucified. And that's why they crucify him, because he claims to be God. Right. So they're sitting there writing down all that he says. And when he says, thy sins be forgiven, they do. What did he just say? Only God forgives sins. So they're putting two and two together. He said he forgives sins. We know only God forgives sins. This guy's claiming to be God. And if he's claiming to be God, that's blasphemy. He's a blasphemer. He is cursing God. There's, there's three things you couldn't do as blasphemy. Number one is you, you couldn't slander God. Number two, you couldn't slander God's Word. And the worst thing you could ever do, the greatest sin to them in the world, was to claim to be God or to do what God can do. So they look at him and they say, he's just committed the worst crime that anybody could ever commit. He is a blasphemy. Wow. Jesus is out of bounds, they think. He's crossed the line. Killing people? Okay. Preaching the gospel? Okay. Claiming to be God? Not okay. And I like this. Let me just show you this. Verse 3 the scribes call him a blasphemer. Look what he says. And behold, certainly the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemeth. You see, that they're calling this saying, he's cursing God. Look down at verse 11 with me. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to the disciples, why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? So they go from saying he's, he's committing blasphemy to he, he is now eating with sinful people. Another accusation. I'll give you another one. You want this? Verse 14. Then came them to the disciples of John saying, why do the Pharisees fast and you guys don't fast? They're calling him not religious. Verse 34, the same chapter. But the Pharisees said he cast out devils through the prince of the devils. He's possessed. 
Four accusations in one chapter. They are out to get Jesus. There's always somebody out to get you. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Jesus said, blessed are, are you when men revile you and say all manner of evil things about you falsely for my name's sake. There's going to be accusations made about all of us. I found a quote this week, and it might get me in trouble, but when they accuse you of things that aren't true, just let the dogs bark. Because they are on a leash, and there's nothing they can do. They may be annoying, and you better believe they're annoying, little yapping dogs about barking at you. They can't bite you. They can't bite you. They couldn't bite Jesus. Jesus said, blessed are you when they do that stuff. And what, what does a blasphemer deserve? <laughs> In the Old Testament, it says if you commit blasphemy, you deserve death. So that's what they're sitting there thinking about Jesus. This guy deserves death. And watch what Jesus says. Like, this, is, this is just great. And Jesus, <laughs> it's just so good. Verse 3, and behold, certain of the scribes, how did they say it? They didn't say it out loud, did they? You see that? They said within themselves, they're thinking it. They wasn't think, they, they weren't saying out loud, they were thinking, okay, Jesus just said he forgives sins. He's saying he's God. He's a blasphemer. He deserves to die. We're going to need to put him on a cross and kill him. They're thinking that in their minds. He's going it over and over. And they're saying it to themselves. They're, they're not saying it out loud. And in verse 4, and Jesus knowing their thoughts. <laughs> there's no secrets with Jesus. Amen. He reads our minds. He reads our hearts. He's reading their mail and didn't even open it. The first sign that he's not a blasphemer is that he can read minds. There's not a secret here. Nothing. All open to him. And he says, Wherefore think you evil in your hearts? He says, Why are you guys thinking this evil stuff? Why are you calling, saying I'm committing blasphemy? Why, are you, why do you want to kill him? Why are you after me? And then he asks a, a brilliant question. For what is easier to say, and I'm going to give you two options here, and you guys can tell me which is easier. And it says here, and, and, and we, need to, we need to look at that. I haven't underlined it. Look, look at it with me. Verse 5, he tells them, which is easier to say? And down at the bottom, or to say. He's not saying to do, because we can't do either one of those things. You have, it's impossible to forgive sins or to say arise and walk. We can't do that. So he asks them, which is easier to say? Sins forgiven or arise and walk? Which is easier to say? And I'll say this to you. I know which one is easier to say. I can say to anybody in this room, your sins are forgiven. Yeah, your sins are forgiven. I can say that. And there's no visible proof that it happened or didn't happen. Not at all. There's no way for you to look into heaven and see, is it true? There's no x-ray vision for you to look into hearts and say, is it really forgiven? There's no card that God gives you that says, forgiven? It's not visible. This is, this is a, a heavenly justification. So I can easily say that. Anybody can say those words, your sins are forgiven. Your sin, there's Catholic priests that say all that all the time. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Just handing out forgiveness to everybody. That's easy to say. It's a little bit harder to say Take up your bed and walk. Why is that? Because you're going to see real quick whether I'm telling the truth or not. 
If I'm a blasphemer and I say, take up your bed and walk, that guy's just going to sit there. But if I'm really God, that guy's going to get up, grab his bed, and walk out the door. So Jesus says, which one is easier to say? Is it easier to say sin's forgiven? Or is it easier to say, take up your bed and walk? Which one is easier? It's a great question. Brilliant question for them. And Jesus here, watch what he does. He says in verse 6, but that ye may know. Here's the proof. Here's why I call it the proof of forgiveness. So that you may know. I want you to know this. Here's your proof that I am who I say I am and that I have authority on earth to forgive sins. I want you to know that I can forgive sins. That I'm not a blasphemer. I want you to see it. I want you to know it. That the Son of Man has a right within Himself the sovereignty to stand and say sins be forgiven. I'll show you. I'll do both. And he looks at the guy and he says, now get up and walk. What a statement. You want to see that I'm happy to forgive sins? Watch this. And he gives them visible proof of the invisible reality. We see it in the obvious. He heals. Only God can make a lame man, a paralyzed man to walk. Let's put two and two together here. As they're sitting there, let's get into their minds. They're reasoning to themselves now. And they see this guy get up and walk. And, gee, and then they're sitting there thinking, okay, let's think about this. He was paralyzed. He came through through the ceiling. Pretty sure he was paralyzed when he came in. His friends are up there doing this. And now he gets up and walks out. Only God can do that. Yes, this man must be God. So obviously, if he's God, he has the authority to forgive sins. Jesus has just visibly proven the invisible reality of forgiveness. That's the proof of forgiveness. These guys are now thinking in their minds, uh-oh, he's not a blasphemer. He's God. He can forgive sin. He can heal a body. He can do both. Amazing reality Amen. of the authority and power of Jesus. He not only has the authority to tell leprosy be gone and it be gone, the authority to tell fever be gone and it be gone, the authority to tell the man sick of the palsy get up and walk and then walk, the authority to calm a storm. The authority to cast out demons. He has the authority to forgive sins. Nobody has that authority but Jesus Christ. And watch what happens. I'll give you my last point. We saw the priority of forgiveness. We see the proof of forgiveness. And I want to show you the power of forgiveness. The power of forgiveness. Jesus tells him there in verse 6. Arise. That's, that's, that's his command. He tells this guy, arise. He gives him three things to do. Arise, get your bed, and go home. Jesus loves to tell people to go home. You know why he tells people to go home? Because that's where they are best known. Amen. And there's no lying there. Get up, grab your bed. He didn't tell him to go fix the roof. Get up, grab your bed, go home. Now what is the one thing that a paralyzed man can't do? Get up. It's impossible. 
He can't do that on his own. He's telling him to do something that he cannot possibly do. Jesus gives him a command and there's nothing. I mean, just think about it. He's been paralyzed. His muscles are atrophied. His bones are brittle. His brain going through his limbs doesn't even have that connection anymore. And Jesus is looking at him saying, you get up and grab your bed and go home. Everybody in the crowd's thinking, that's, that's, that's what he can't do. It's like me looking at one of my boys and saying, fly. <laughs> you know what he would need? Isaiah sitting right there. You know what he would need in order to fly? He would need a miracle from God to enable him to fly. It's impossible. He can sit and do this right here all he wants. He's not going anywhere. None of us are. That guy, that cripple can lay there in that bed and move his head and want to get up. He can't do it on his own. We can't do nothing without God. That's what this is teaching here. We are helpless without Him. He needs 100% enablement. He doesn't need help. He needs it all. Total. He's not sitting there and saying, give me a little bit of help and I'll do the rest of my own. <laughs> no. I, he says, I need you to do it all. And when it comes to us getting saved, we don't help. Amen. He does it all. Amen. I can't save myself. My baptism ain't going to get me there. My works ain't going to get me there. I had somebody come into the church this week and asking for stuff. And, she, and I said, okay, I want to give you the gospel. She said, oh, I'm saved. I'm saved. That's not great. You stand before God one day. And he says, why should I let you in? What will you say? Steph's in there listening to me. She, she, she knows this is true. And she looked back at me and she said, I'll say, I've followed your rules. I've loved people. I've not hated. And she went down a litany of things that she had done. And I said, okay. She said, I've worked. I've been good. I said, none of those things will get you in to heaven. That's right. That's right. The Bible says, you, I told her that, your works, the goodness you just told me, is as filthy rags before God. Yeah, right. And the only way you get in is if God saves you and forgives you of your sin. Yeah. I said it a little bit calmer than that. <laughs> I said, you better look at God if you get that chance. And you say, the only way I get in is by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because I can't do it on my own. I am spiritually a cripple. We all are spiritually paraplegics. Nothing we can do to get up on our own. Unless God enables us, we are helpless and we are hopeless. The one thing he can't do is get up. He needs the power of God, and I'll say this, he needs the grace of God to get up. Oh, yeah. And watch what happens. I love the way Matthew just nonchalantly says in verse 7, and he arose. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see that? And he got up. There's no waiting. I love just tying this all together. You remember the disciples that wouldn't get in the boat because they wanted to wait? Yeah. 
gotta go bury my dad. I gotta go say bye to my family. Wait. But when Jesus tells the crippled man to get up, the crippled man gets up. Yeah. Because he has authority not only to forgive sins, he has authority over bodies. This guy here in a split second, instantly. I mean, there was no weight on it. You watch these charismatic people that try to heal this and stuff. And, and I saw a guy the other day trying to, he said one arm was shorter than the other and he needed this preacher to come in there and make them even. And they're sitting there pulling and doing all these things and working and working. When Jesus says you're healed, you're healed instantly on the spot. There's no work. There's no, there's no pain. There's no, this guy was healed instantly. Not only that, he was healed completely. This guy, if you think about it, if he's been paraplegic his whole life, just think about how his arms are and muscles are atrophied, and, and there's no muscle there. There's no muscle in the legs. There's nothing there. Probably, he's probably just skin and bone laying there you know, on that mat. And now all of a sudden, he has muscles in his arms, and he has muscles in his legs. So he's got new muscles. He's got new bones. He's, he's, there's no weakness. He doesn't get up and... Oh, He's jumping and running. He's completely healed. There's no limping. There's no cane. There's no walker. There's no crutches. There's nothing. He is completely healed. The same as when our sins are forgiven, there's none left. We are completely forgiven. Complete healing and complete forgiveness. This is the greatest day in that guy's life. I mean, he he got a double blessing, didn't he? He got his greatest need and his second greatest need all in just a few minutes. (laughs) He gets up. He grabs the mat that carried him in. He carries it out. He takes that mat and he rolls it up like a newspaper. sticks it underneath his new strong arms. (laughs) Do you think about that? He came in on a mat. He walks out carrying the mat. (laughs) And now he goes home. He was carried in. He walks out. I can imagine the crowd there, they parted like a Red Sea. (laughs) And he grabbed that mat, looked up, and took off. Probably not even walking home. He probably ran a six-minute mile. (laughs) An unmistakable display of the power of Almighty God. And all it took was Jesus saying, Arise. Get this. Right now, I can't promise you to meet any need you have. I can't give you money. I can't give you help. I can't give you none of the things that you may think you need. But I can offer you right now forgiveness of your sin. And I can offer you later that when Jesus says, Arise, that these old bodies that are in the grave, they will rise. And it will be instant. And it will be complete. And we will arise with brand new bodies. And this old back that hurts me won't hurt me no more. These old eyes, I'm I'm approaching a certain age (laughs) that shall not be named. These old eyes don't work like they used to. And I go play basketball and I don't react like I used to. My mind says, go there. My body says, what is that? <laughs> I'm supposed to be there. My body's like, slow motion. 
I used to cook, right? Man, can you imagine? My sins can be forgiven right now. And my body will be healed then. On that day, we'll have the blessing that this man had. We'll get our great, we'll have our greatest need met. And we'll have our second greatest need met. A brand new, glorified body. What a truth. Let me get this guy home. He came in a stranger, and he leaves his son. Yeah. He came in with a debt. And he walks out, clears the bell. Yeah. Debt free. Amen. He walked in on his way to heaven, carried in on his way to hell, and he walks out on his way to heaven. Amen. He goes home with a new body. He goes home with a new heart. He goes home with physical healing, and he goes home with spiritual healing. He goes home just as if he never sinned, and he goes home just as if he's never paralyzed. This man gets home and he looks at everybody and he says, let me tell you about the day I just had. Yeah. And he's standing there in front of them. Oh, yeah. He'll say, I, the greatest thing happened to me today. And they'll say, we can tell you're, you're healed. Yeah. My <coughs> sins will forgive you. Yes. Yeah. What a truth. And I, can, I can parallel this. I don't know how you came in here today. But I can know how you can go out. You may have come in here today as a Christian with some sin. You can go out forgiven. 1 John 1 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all our unrighteousness. Now would be a time to take care of that. You may have walked in here loaded with sin as the grains of the sand and in a split second you can have all those sins cast as far as the east is from the west you can come in here like you're going to hell or are on your way to hell and you can walk out going to heaven you can come in full of sin and walk out just as if you never sinned but you've got to recognize who it is that did it let me show you this last little bit here and I'll close verse 8 when the multitude saw it I mean, it's obvious. I mean, they're sitting there watching it. Jaws drop. There's no doubt. There's no explanation. This guy just got healed, and this guy was just forgiven of his sin. What did they do? They did two things here. Look, they marveled, and they glorified God. They were amazed. They were stunned. They were shocked. They couldn't believe it. Uh, that, that marveled is a word that would use if you are in the presence of greatness. We're in the presence of somebody who is far superior, infinitely far superior than I am. Have you ever been in the presence of somebody like that and you just stand in awe of who that is? That's what it is. They're sitting there with their jaws dropping saying, wow, what kind of man is this? And that's where they miss it because look what they say. They glorify God because He's given power unto men. They don't recognize Him for who He is. They should have all been on their faces begging God for forgiveness. He's right there in front of them. Here He is, and they can have forgiveness, but they refuse. They missed it. One man left right. 
and these men left angry. I say that again. One man left right. These men left angry. They missed it. One man walked out with his sins forgiven. The others walked out with their sins still on them. One man walked out with their greatest need taken care of. The rest of them walked out with their greatest need still yet to be taken care of. They missed it. So again, I'm closing. Our greatest problem is sin. We need to see sin for what it is. It's ugly. It's defiling. It's offensive to God. It's shameful. We try to excuse it. We try to cover it. We try to do everything with it, but call it what it really is. An ugly, offensive thing to God. It is our greatest problem. And our greatest need is that we be forgiven of that sin. We need forgiveness. And it is available to everybody in this room today. It is offered to you. It is free to you. You can have forgiveness of everything that you have ever done wrong from the first day that you can think to to today and even into the future. You can have that today. We can all have our greatest need met today and all of our sins be forgiven. If you go to Jesus who paid for those sins and whisper a prayer very gently, very true in your heart. See, Jesus saw that man's faith saw deep down in him and say, will you forgive my sins? Please forgive me of my sins. And if you do that, you'll find what I found. That Jesus is a great forgiver. That he will forgive everything you've ever done. That there is no sin that he won't forgive. If you'll ask him. If you'll ask him. And you need to. And you could walk out of here today and the first person you can see is say, I, the greatest thing happened to me today. All of my sins were forgiven. You can hear these words. Son, daughter, be of good cheer. My sins are forgiven. Maybe you came in on the enemy, you can walk out a child. Maybe you came in on your way to hell, you can walk out on your way to heaven. But you must do what this guy did. Place yourself at the feet of Jesus and beg for mercy. I said that at the outset of this sermon in the prayer. God, let us get everybody in this room to the feet of your son. And my prayer is that that's where we are right now. We wasn't lowered in, but we have walked in. And may we all you know, see ourselves at the feet of Jesus and simply say, please forgive me of my sin. That's for Christians. That's for lost people. We all need to deal with our sin today. May you respond. And may you see what this guy saw. And we can walk out of good cheer. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word.
for the promise of your word that if we confess our sins that you'll be faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. We thank you for that and whatever you have. And God, I pray that we grab onto that promise today and if there's Christians here in this room who have sin in their lives, that they would either in their pew or here at the altar, that they would go to Christ and say, please forgive me. Wash me and make me clean. And if there are unbelievers here today, people who have never put their faith in Christ, they've never heard the words, thy sins are forgiven. May today be that day where you convict them of their sin. Show them how horrible and offensive sin truly is. And how it will keep them. Unforgiven sin will keep them out of heaven. And God, I pray that you would show them that by your Spirit. And they would respond in faith and beg you for forgiveness. May that be, God, the result of this sermon today. That many of us, many lost people, would walk out of here just as if they never seen it. Please, do a great work in here today. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As the music plays, the altar's open.